Well, welcome in. If you are listening to us for the first time, you have found Down the Hall Podcast. My name is Chet. I'm here, as always, with Rodney. Uh, And uh, we, every single week, aim to help people take back movie night because we read that a person will waste 115 hours every year just looking for a movie to watch. And that, frankly, is absurd. Chet, you're also selling us a little short because on occasion we even get to interview uh, special guests, movie stars, uh, celebrities, and that's what this episode's all about, isn't it? Yeah, this uh, this episode is an interview we're, we're excited to uh, to share with you guys. We had a blast recording it. It's uh, Kurt Braunohler, who most recently was in a movie called The Big Sick, which is Great up for movie. all sorts of potential you know Oscar nominations, and uh, we loved it. We did an episode on it recently, and uh, you know he had connected with us via Twitter and, and agreed to come on the show. Yeah, and it was uh, I mean it was a really fun interview. We basically get to talk he he started out doing mostly stand-up comedy and he's still doing a lot of stand-up comedy, but we also get to talk uh about his career and some of those highlights. Uh one of the things he mentions and we won't spoil too much here, but one of the things uh, Kurt mentions is his work with uh Kristen Shaw. Yeah. Who Rodney, you know as Bob's being Burgers. the voice of Louise from Bob's Burgers. She I mean I know she's from a few other things, but most fondly for me, Bob's Burgers. Absolutely. Are you ready to get into this interview? Yep. Hey, this is Kurt Brownler from The Big Sick, and you're listening to Down the Hall Podcast. Just picture me high up with my top down on Highland and Sunset doing 85 on the top deck. See step by step, we walking on stars. If you looking for some action, you ain't gotta go that far. Now, just picture me Hollywood living riding through the sun. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Down the Hall Podcast. Uh, Rodney, we have an awesome guest tonight. We do. I think this one, uh, so we went and saw the, the movie The Big Sick uh, opening weekend because we heard great things and I you know, knew a little bit about the Kumail story and so I was excited to see it. Um, and and then we went to, we were basically talking about it all night, we went to dinner afterwards and you told me what? I said that uh, Kurt Braunohler from, from the movie had responded to one of my requests and said that he would want to come on the episode I, I can't believe it i mean so thank you thank you kurt i know uh we we've got an intro so a couple of questions uh, to get into but um you know i am 100 percent appreciative and chet still 100 percent amazed that people respond <laughs> yeah no problem guys yeah for sure and kurt you play the uh character chris who's kumail's roommate and also kind of his uh sounding board and uh comedic relief at points throughout the movie and we're excited to get talking about that. But before we do, uh, Kurt, we are a movie recommendation podcast. So we saw something somewhere that said 115 hours are wasted every year just looking for a movie to watch. So we have two questions for you. First of all, what would you do with an extra 115 hours? And secondly, if you could recommend one movie besides The Big Sick to our listeners, what would it be? What would I do with an extra 150? Teen hours. Um, I would, because uh, I would go for a hike, you know, like uh, by myself. Mm. And then, um, I don't know. And, you know, I'm not great at hiking. So I would like, <laughs> I'd take all 115. Yeah. I would, I mean, I feel like I would fall down like a crevice and get like my arm caught. Um, <laughs> and then, 
I guess it would end like it's only 115. So then I guess probably <laughs> I would just stay there uh, because I would need another. I would, it would 127 is where I would cut my arm off. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the, what's one movie you'd recommend to our listeners besides The Big Sick that would save them a movie night? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Okja. Oh yeah, oh. that just popped up on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yeah, yet. It's really good. If I mean, like, if you've watched. Um, I'm gonna get the guy's name wrong. Something June Bong. Um, he's a Korean director. Right to me. <laughs> and yeah, right. And he did Snowpiercer. So this is his movie. Oh, after okay. Snowpiercer. Okay. Yep. Got it. And uh, it's awesome. It's very good. So it's still sci-fi-ish, but uh, pretty fun. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I know that you are a busy guy, a popular guy. You're actually jumping on another uh, interview right after this. So we're gonna get right into kind of the bulk of this. We want to talk a little bit about. Your career, and then obviously, of course, uh, had some questions about the big sick. Um, sure. So, Rodney, I think has the first question. Yeah. So, I guess I'm going to start by just if you could give us the Cliff Notes version of of your career. So, like, what what prompted you to start pursuing comedy? Were there early successes along the way that kind of convinced you that it was for you? Um, you know, and were there any points that you felt like you were close to saying, "Okay, I'm not going to do comedy. I'm going to try and figure something else out." Um, I don't think I was ever close to not. Uh, doing comedy. I mean, I moved to New York in 1998 and um, quickly discovered the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. We would just open their doors. And I think I took one of their first classes in their original theater. Uh, And like Amy Poehler was my teacher. Matt Besser was my teacher. And uh, just started improvising. And then I really loved improvising. So I tried to do that for, tried to essentially uh, make a living from improvising, which is pretty difficult to do. <laughs> and, uh, so I decided to start writing and I started writing, uh, met uh, a woman named Kristen Shaw and we started writing together in like 2005 and had, and started a weekly show called hot tub every Monday night. And, um, and then we've been doing that show, uh, for the past 12 years. We still do it every Monday night here in Los Angeles and uh, yeah, so I pr- pretty much started doing stand up yeah about twelve years ago when I started Hot Tub with Kristen, and um, and it's been great. I just had an hour come out on Comedy Central this year, and obviously in the Big Sick, and uh, next in September I'm going to be in the second season of Lady Dynamite. So just moderate moderate success all along the way. Is <laughs> that's, that what that's, a, that's uh, an awesome okay. awesome thing? This has been a big year then. So. I have yeah. uh, my my brother in law is also pers- he pursues stand up comedy while doing you know other things as well and so um you know that was as I had t- talked to him about this interview basically his only comment was tell him I hate him and his success so uh, I'm gonna <laughs> jump into the next thing um which is what is the last thing someone would expect about being a stand up comedian the last thing um is that it's uh you know when you when you do when you're an actual standup and you actually have to do the road and you're like playing clubs, it's uh, like in your imagination when you first start doing comedy, like every night is a party. Like every night is like the best night and everybody's friends. But then when you're like, when you're just working the road, it is sad and lonely. <laughs> and you don't want to do these shows and they're often for hostile audiences. And so it is like uh, you do have to like find a reason that you want to continue doing it because it can very easily 
feel like you get beat down out there. Can you define hostile audience or the most hostile, like one hostile experience you had? Oh, I had a guy jump me after a show and uh, he ended up actually like spraining my wrist. Yeah, he was just drunk. and, Did, and was, was it related to the comedy? Yeah, he was like mad about my set. Um, and he <laughs> didn't, the club didn't have security. So right when he like grabbed me, I started yelling security um, because I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. And, uh, and there was no security, but the opening act happened to be, he used to be, he's a bouncer. And um, he was like the guy who opened for me, who hosted the show. And that guy pulled this lunatic off me. You know, Chet, I told my brother-in-law, Mike Cordry, to stop attacking people at the show. I forgot that he had attacked Kurt. I forgot that that was, <laughs> I forgot that that was him. So actually, I had a question too, Kurt. So I don't know if this is just, if there's any truth to this or if it's just kind of perception. But it seems to me that comedians seem to work in the same groups. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, I feel like um, Adam Sandler has his crew in a way. And then, like, Will Ferrell has his crew. Then even just, you know, with guys like Nick Kroll and you mentioned Amy Poehler, some of, I just see a lot of them popping up in each other's, you know, shows or, or different things that movies. Is it, is there truth to that? Or is it just sort of this perception and just a coincidence? Yeah, I mean, it's primarily that you want to work with your friends, you know, it's okay. like, because you're no you know, doing like a movie or, you know, doing a TV show is like, it's relatively stressful. And if you get somebody who you kind of like, if you get somebody and they turn out to be a dick, it can really ruin like your entire experience. And so you kind of want to fill it with people you know are cool and that you like. And also I think that in comedy too, uh, you know, it's like, uh, especially to have something successful succeed, it's like, you know, to get, like for like a successful television show, let's talk about. First off, it, there's a bunch of people who are pitching ideas to all these different networks, right? And then maybe 1% of those are go to a script phase. And then 1% of those scripts get shot as a pilot. Then 1% of those pilots actually make it to series. And then like 10% of those that make it to series actually get a second series. And then 1% of those actually become successful. So I think <laughs> okay. there's this idea... That like if you happen to like get something, you want to pull people up with you, you know, or at least that's what I do. And I think a lot of people think of it that way just because, you know, you can go on the road any night. You can go out and go to a comedy club and see someone who is hilarious and you have no idea who they are. Like there's no they have no name. So you can be a really, really funny, funny, funny stand up and no one knows you. And so. Uh, you want to give funny people an opportunity to shine. I think when you get these bigger opportunities, that that's so cool. And that's such a good point Chet, to just remind ourselves as we watch these things that are like the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And then we watch it and go like, eh, it was okay. You know, <laughs> like just, just, right. just, just immediately got to like give it a mediocre and then go on <laughs> that. That's right. the best of the best. Yep. Now, you obviously have done a lot of things, and you just described to us a few things you're doing this year, kind of diverse in uh, all that you've done to get to the point that you are. Um, can you talk a little bit about transitioning from the stand-up comedy, which I know you're still a part of, but uh, now moving into acting in a movie like The Big Sick, is that something you see yourself doing more of? Um, and Yeah. Okay. Definitely. That's. I mean, I, I really love acting, and I just had a a daughter this year. And so I really do want to stay in Los Angeles more often. 
And so, uh, you know, the, the dream is to, you know, have a show that shoots here or do, you know, do a movie that shoots in L.A. so I can, you know, be with my family and also work. And then also that really does help so that I can go out and just have kind of a, a bigger audience when I do stand up on the road. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we were kind of like looking at a lot of the different, you know, elements of your career and, um, you know, saw that. And so I guess or saw, you know, like a lot of the, the TV work that you're doing in, in addition to the stand up uh, comedy. But it felt like this was kind of one of the be- one of the biggest, you know, movie roles. And so, oh, you know, totally. what was the process of like either seeking it out or, you know, did you hear it because, you know, through whether it's Kumail or, you know, through like the UCB circles or, or like what was what was the process of of figuring out that this role was available or that this movie was being made and that, you know, you, you know, you wanted to be a part of it. Uh, Kumail and Emily are, are good friends and, uh, they, Kumail, you know, reached out to me and said when they're writing it, they had me in mind for the part originally. And must so be a cool feeling to be like, it's a, a great feeling. Sorry to, yeah. Sorry to interrupt just cause I think that, you know, you've described having to work so hard and everyone in your industry working so hard to get noticed and someone reaches out to you like that. It must, it must feel really cool. It felt great. But also you have to realize that in Hollywood, the writer of a movie doesn't have really the say of casting. Mm. So, um, you know, really casting is up to Judd and to Michael Showalter, the director. And so but uh, Kumail and Emily kind of fought for me to at least do a table read. And so we did this table read. And also this is my first table read. Uh, for a movie like I'd done a few table reads for Bob's Burgers after I'd already had the part but this was first time I did a table read before I had the part Mm -hmm. and I was like sitting in between Holly Hunter and Ray Romano and so I was totally shitting my pants and it was at like (laughs) Sony Studios in a real fancy room and there was like the entire LA comedy community was like watching and giving notes and so I was very nervous and you know I wrote all these jokes that I wanted to like throw in for like the character and, um, and they, and we did it and they, uh, and they totally were like, all right, great. And we're going to definitely audition for that part of Chris. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. They hated what I did. And, uh, so then they auditioned like every comedian in Los Angeles, like everyone kept saying that they were going out for it. And I was, I, you know, I was like, there was still a chance that I would get it, but I was like, probably not. You know, if they really liked me, they would have just given it to me. And, um, and so then it was like months later and I had just given up on it really. And I was actually at, uh, I was in Minneapolis at the Acme comedy club about to go on at my Thursday night show. And Kumail called me and he was with Michael Showalter and Emily. And he was like, do you want to be in our movie? And I was like, as what part? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I do. Yeah, it's so good. That's, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. Um, yeah. That leads me really to my next question, because this movie, I'm sure you know, is getting a ton of praise. No, and, we're breaking the yeah, news to him. By the way, Kurt, yeah, this movie, uh, it, I mean, to the point of, you know, you look at early Oscar um, predictions and there's actually a few that we read about even, even as, as recently as today. Um, I'm going to give you four, uh, because best picture is one of them, but that's an obvious that, you know, you don't, obviously you'd want that, but I'm going to give you four of the ones that I've read about today. And you have to pick one. If you had to choose one award for the big sick of these four, which would it be? 
Okay. So best picture aside, because I think we'd, we'd, right. we'd go with that Everyone, one, right? That's a team award. So, uh, so the four are uh, best actor for Kumail, um, best supporting actor for Ray Romano, best supporting actress, Holly Hunter, and best original screenplay. That's, I feel like the one that it, it has, I, I feel like the, the one that it has the best chance of winning is the best original screenplay. Um, which would be amazing, mm. but I do kind of think, and I, you know, Holly Hunter has an Oscar already, so she's out. She doesn't get one again. Oh, really? uh, that, see, our answer on our, on the episode we did about the movie was Holly Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> loved her in that. She already got one, I think for the piano. So she's already okay. had this feeling. Um, I kind of feel like it would be cool for Ray Romano because Ray Romano is amazing in the film He's, he's so awesome great. and he's a great guy and it would be, I thought, I think it would be really cool. I mean, Kumail would hate for me to say that. No, he wouldn't hate for me. He would want it for Ray too. But, um, cause I feel like Kumail is now a huge movie star. And right. so he's going to have opportunities to win an Oscar. I feel like in the future. Um, whereas who knows if Ray will have an opportunity to win an Oscar again. So I'm going to say Ray Romano. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, Ray Romano is obviously a great, I mean, I think all three could easily deserve it. Um, I think, you know, they all like played such a pivotal role in what was such a great movie. I think it's so interesting to me too, that just Kumail, who I, not that this is about me, just who I've heard in like podcast, who I'd heard is like, you know, someone on, like on other people's podcasts and things like that, then was the star of this movie and did such a great job and is now like could viably be a best actor candidate. I, I think I have a soft spot for that one as well. Um, oh, but you know, very cool. Yeah. Um, and he did an amazing job and what an amazing story it was. But so I'm going to keep going forward. Um, the craziest, uh, what, what was the craziest onset story or funniest one? Obviously it's a, it's a cast of comedians. Um, you know, were there any stories from filming the movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the thing, you know, I, I was also the on set writer. So I was on set the whole time pitching jokes to everybody. And my very first day that I got there was some uh, some scenes in the apartment with uh, with Holly and Ray. And um, and then and then they're like, uh, Holly wants some jokes. And I was like, OK. <laughs> and I went into like a bathroom with Holly Hunter and I was she was sitting on the toilet and I was like sitting on the bathtub and just like pitching Holly Hunter jokes. And, and like, you know, I don't think Holly's done uh, like a comedy before. Um, and so she's never, especially never had someone who would just pitch her jokes. So she just stares like dead in my <laughs> eyes and I'm like pitching all these jokes and she's just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, she hates all of these. Yeah. <laughs> and she like did all of them and they all worked. And I was like, oh, okay. She doesn't, that's just the way she is. <laughs> they, they definitely and, all worked. Yeah. She, she really, she really is so funny. And, you yeah. know, yeah. I'm sure if there was more time, you'd have plenty of other stories too with that, uh, that cast around each other so often. Oh, but, um, we know that you have a lot that you're doing tonight and you're going to get going. So we, we have one more section to our, our episode. It's the rapid fire, uh, where we haven't told you these questions in advance and they're supposed to be, uh, kind of top of mind answers where Rodney and I are not allowed to respond at all. Okay. Um, but before we get to that, Kurt, where can our listeners find you? And secondly, what's, what's up next for you? Uh, listeners can find me just, uh, online. If you Google Kurt comedy and the first thing that pops up K U R T cause I have a difficult last name, but I've got, um, 
Right now, you can go and listen to uh, two of my podcasts. One's called Emotional Hangs. It's all about adult friendship. I host it with Joe DeRosa. It's over at Feral Audio. And another one called Wedlock that I host with my wife, Lauren Cook, and it's on Audible. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, now, are you ready for these rapid-fire questions? Yep. All right, man. This is kind of like the hot seat. So, uh, All right. First one, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. What is the last show you binge-watched? Bloodline. What is your favorite boy band of all time? None. Okay, good answer. <laughs> what You can't respond, Chet. My bad. Uh, <laughs> what is the worst city you've ever done stand-up in? Miami. And uh, the final one, this one should be an easy one. What is your favorite, what is the better podcast, This American Life or Down the Hall Podcast? Down the Hall Podcast, guys. Yeah, obviously. Did This American Life ever save anyone 115 hours of anything? Listen, that was where I first, my my brother-in-law was the one who reminded me. He's like, Kurt is the, he did the episode, I'm an avid This American Life listener. And so I realized like in 2012, I heard you know, your, your story of relationship. And I realized like, oh, no way. You know, so I, I, I was connecting a lot of dots uh, as we prepared for this. Yeah, it was a, I, I mean, I love this American life, you know. Um, Kurt, we really appreciate you. And uh, that, uh, that role you played on the movie was one that uh, you got to love, like, you got to love the side, like sidekick friend character in, in movies like this, who for us as, as we're watching it, and it's kind of dealing with different emotional things, you know, you have the, the comedic relief and uh, kind of that sense of like calm as we're yeah. watching it, you know. And, and so I thought your role was really important in it. And we're really glad we got to uh, chat with you a little bit tonight. Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Well, that was fun. It was. I'm glad we got to do that. That's really cool. Um, honestly, again, if you haven't seen The Big Sick, go out and check that out. It, talking to Kurt again got me thinking about how uh, how detailed, how great that's, that story really was for it also being as hysterical as it was. Yeah, it was just such a good it was such a good movie because there are so many distinct roles and parts mm-hmm. and everybody I feel like played their part so perfectly. I completely Ray agree. Romano was perfect. Holly Hunter was perfect. Kumail was perfect. Yep. Emily was perfect. So the whole uh the whole com- you know combination works so well as the story gets told. What was your biggest takeaway from what he had said? Um I think I'm going to go with the fact that, you know, we had asked him about why it is that we see packs of people in the same, especially like comedians. It feels like, you know, they, they're in the same, each other's projects and movies. And, um, I thought it was really interesting to hear him say that, you know, it's because they're your friends. So you want to give them that opportunity, but you also probably know that they're funny, but you also know that you will have a good working relationship because, if there's somebody that you just get paired on a project with and in his words, they're a dick, you, you know, it's it, the project is probably not going to go very well. Um, or it's going to be a really brutal process, um, to, to get something good out of it. So I thought that was a pretty interesting, um, story. And I also really liked the idea of him saying, you know, you'll go out there and you'll see these hysterical, you know, there, there's so many great comedians that, you know, you want that opportunity to give someone a shot because probably somewhere in your career, you got a shot. Yeah. I think mine was thinking about when he was saying how there's uh, you know, when you first start out, you think it's going to be like this, it's going to be, you know, rock star experience. You're going to be in a different city every night and you're going to see your comedian friends and you're going to, you know, s- tell jokes to packed out houses in the coolest places. And then the reality of 
the reality of it is, is a lot of travel and you going from place to place. And oftentimes, you know, on a Tuesday night, you know, in Milwaukee, you know, yeah. just like, and I'm sure that that would just get tired, you know, and for him, he was talking about sometimes being in front of hostile crowds and like that, that to me is a fascinating story. Like, I feel, I feel like when we did the, the episode on don't think twice, they were talking about, or they were showing an improv group in New York city, but I'd love to see a portrayal, whether it be a movie or, or show of kind of that stand up life of kind yeah. of the traveling from place to place. I've and got one for you. What's that? Uh, Mike Birbiglia sleepwalk with me. So it's actually his story of himself. So like he, he does it as a movie. Uh, so he's both like t- narrating his life, but then also like you're seeing the scenes of his life. Okay. Uh, and it's a lot of like stuff that's in his uh, stand up. Re- it's great. Um, but also I think it's through that, that, um, I wasn't that surprised by his answer, but at the same time, there was that point in time where seeing a comedian's life, you realize, boy, that can be, that sucks. You know, like you're not, you know, he talks about just being in like a broken down car, driving to some college show where like no one laughed and no one was there. You know, he drove all night, you know, stays in a crappy hotel and then has to drive home, you know, uh, like a a lot of it, you realize like, yeah, not all glamorous, you know, not exactly all goes uh, swimmingly, but don't think, I mean, sorry, sleepwalk with me. It's on Netflix, I believe, or it's been on Netflix. So, um, did you just give me a movie night? I did. This is very meta. Actually, yeah. this is kind of how the show started. We just kept recommending movies to each other for really years. And kind of in our groups of friends, we were the guys who recommended movies. So here we are now doing it for hordes of people. Millions. Hordes. Um, yeah, it is. It's just it's a tick over a million, right? That's what we're at? Tick under. Tick under? Yeah. <laughs> tick under. Well, tick over for any sponsors potentially listening. Or a tick over a million people. Yeah, whatever Blue Apron wants, we'll give them. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Even just some food. Actually, you know what? Oh, I was settled. Are you kidding me? If if they were, like, I would take Blue Apron well, if they were also going to send someone to come make it. If they said, "Hey, we'll <laughs> that, either continue, we'll either, we'll either pay you for for advertising, or we'll send you the food," and uh, and and I, I wouldn't need anyone. I'll I'll make the food. It's, I like I love cooking. Love it. I I I love cooking too, but the, it, there's a time component to cooking that. I don't, I don't love. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think most people would call that a luxury. (laughs) (laughs) What? To have the time component Uh, to cook? What am I going to do with all this unprepared food? (laughs) I, I think a luxury, but then wouldn't you just, I I think I'd take cold, hard cash. Yeah. I I don't know. I, uh, I think that'd be a great problem for us to have. I'll tell you if blue apron said, we'll give you a year of blue apron. I don't think you'd complain at all. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't complain. And then I would just have to get someone to make the food, which, but it sounds like you're volunteering. So Lyndon recently said that we turn every conversation into food eventually. I think it's kind of becoming true. Here we are talking about an episode where we get to interview Kurt Braunohler, who by the end of this year, everyone's going to have seen the big sick. And we're talking about a hypothetical free subscription to Blue Apron versus taking sponsorship money. Do you think they have Blue Apron in the UK? Um, I believe that they, these services are expanding. I think Blue Apron is about to go public. So I would imagine that they have stuff in the UK. It should probably be called something else. Probably be like magenta nightgown. Is that, do you, of all the places in the world, you think the UK would have the, like, you think Blue Apron would have to think of a different name for the UK? I don't know. When Lyndon told us like meat and two veg, all the, di- 
That'd be an interesting name for a food service. I don't think that something with an innuendo for the male genitalia would make a great name for Blue Apron in the UK. I don't. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you did go to business school, so I guess I'll trust that. You know, Tom, I don't even like Tom Brady's purple carrot. You know, that's yeah, what that's, is that's pushing it. Tom Brady's purple carrot <laughs> it's like, is the name of like his cookbook. Yeah. Purple carrot. That's like the emoji you send. I, I mean, the, I, well, that would you be generally eggplant. speaking. Not yeah, you, not you, me. I don't send many eggplant emojis. Right. I mean, I know it's an eggplant. I only in certain situations. But that's put, I mean, that is, that's bad. Purple that's, carrot. That's terrible. Do we have anything else to add about the uh, Kurt interview? I mean, I was I was blown away that he even decided to join us because because like we said, he did have another interview to go to right after ours. Uh, so I feel like we really lucked out having him, and uh, definitely wish him luck. And like we said, you guys got to go out and see the big sick. Do it now. Do it now. So that's Rodney, and I'm Chet, and we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>